On today's show, should Brock Faber be playing 30 minutes a night in Minnesota? All that and a lot more on today's episode of Locked On NHL Prospects. You are Locked On NHL Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On NHL Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On this podcast, we break down everything prospects rated for you five days a week, Monday to Friday. I'm Hattie Kalakesh, joined by Sebastian High, and on today's show, we'll be breaking down uh, a couple of questions about some defensemen. First and foremost, we'll talk about Brock Faber, who's a rookie this year playing 30 minutes a night in Minnesota. We'll, again, we'll get into why that is, but especially whether or not he should be. Um, in our second segment, we'll talk about Jaden Struble of the Montreal Canadiens, who's been playing really well as of late, um, and has kind of stood out as a defenseman on that blue line and made things a bit complicated in terms of their pecking order, especially within the next two to three years. Uh, we'll, we'll get into first how he's found success in the NHL and, and you know, what works for him and, and how he applies it so well. And then in our third segment, we'll talk about what the pecking order is and where he stands within it regarding who stays and who goes in this Habs lineup. There are 14 names <laughs> Uh, that could be in conversation for a top six on defense for Montreal. So we'll get into all of that. But before we get into any of that, today's episode is brought to you by Sleeper. Download the Sleeper app and use code LOCKEDONNHL to get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe. Leave us a comment letting us know what you want us to talk about next. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast and platform, make sure to make us your first listen of the day. So let's get right into it with Brock Faber. I mean, he's been playing really well as of late, um, but he's playing 30 minutes a night. First and foremost, talk me through what's been going on with Faber that makes him such a utilized player as a rookie uh, for the Minnesota Wild. Combination of elite uh, processing of the game and understanding of the game with elite mobility. Uh, This has not been a player that's ever really produced at a high level. Uh, and that's also why he's been overlooked as a high-end prospect for quite a while now. Like his NCAA production was never like really popping off the page, but everyone that watched him intently was was a really big fan of his. Like I remember going back to those Olympics uh, where where Team USA had a pretty good showing, and like Brock Faber was a really big piece of that team, along with like guys like Sean Farrell, for instance, where those NCAA pieces were really like key components to Team USA's Olympic team. And I remember watching that tournament and just thinking like, this guy is looking like a 30 year old, like, like the amount of maturity in his game, uh, the speed and comfort with, with, with which he's able to make decisions is, is really impressive. And I remember uh, like a lot of or a handful of public scouts that were really, really pushing him and, uh like in his draft year and also the years afterwards like cam robinson for instance has always been a massive fan of uh brock faber's and uh i i remember uh like back in those days like seeing seeing those hot takes and going investigating a bit myself and watching some game tape and being like really impressed by the player now uh did i trade him away my my keeper fantasy league um like six months ago and do i already regret it massively yes but uh hey mistake mistakes can be made uh but brock Faber is looking excellent right now and he's been the same style of player for like 
all the way going back to his like D minus one season. Like he's always had these same strengths. So the fact that he's entrusted with these massive minutes as a rookie is, I think, surprising to everyone, including Brock Faber. But uh, he's playing some exceptional hockey and is somehow a really, really good like candidate in the Calder race, which we did not see coming. And we had uh, yep. quite a few discussions about that Calder race back in August and September. So what's what's yeah. your take on Faber's progression here? Yeah, I, I I really think it should be squarely in this conversation, like at, at least top three. And if the Calder wasn't so heavily based on points, he could win it. Like he has been fantastic. And you mentioned the maturity and all that. And I think that that really starts with the way that he approaches um, ceilings in the defensive zone. So the way that he seals opponents from the puck below his goal line, especially on retrievals, is fantastic. Like he, he does that not just at an NHL level, at an elite NHL level. And when you have that specialist tool, when you have that that thing that you do better than everyone on the ice, you immediately stand out. And you know the the, the NHL isn't a league of um, of generalists. The the NHL is a league of specialists. When you do a thing really well, you'll get an NHL role. And we'll talk about that a bit more with Jaden Struble as well. Um, this is a player who's found his niche and does it so so well. My concern is. I don't think he should be playing 30 minutes a night. And um, I'll quote Daryl Belfry on this. Daryl Belfry is a development specialist, a player development specialist who, in my opinion, is one of the greatest hockey minds right now. Um, He says, I think Minnesota has to be very careful playing Faber 30 minutes a night for an extended period of time. Whether he can physically handle the minutes or not is not the point. He still has a lot he can add to his game, and we don't even know what he's capable of becoming. At 30 minutes, he will at some point have to make decisions on what he will and will not engage in over the course of the game to conserve himself to play the minutes. What do you think about that? I I would agree. I think that playing any player 30 minutes a night is difficult. Like it's one thing when you're Lane Hudson playing for Boston university and the NCAA and being tasked with 30 minutes a night where it's doable because of the level of competition in his own toolkit. But at the NHL level, I don't really think there's any player that benefits from playing that much. And mm-hmm. especially like, like with a rookie, that is a bit of an overextension uh, on, on what, any player can do and that yeah. is absolutely no insult to Brock Faber I think what what Daryl is saying there is true for so many players right like I think the more minutes you play the more you have to sacrifice like I'm thinking of players like Thomas Shabbat for instance who has an, an exceptional toolkit but over the last four seasons has been tasked with like 26 27 minutes a night he's been routinely among the three most utilized players in the league while being at his core, a very good number two or number three defenseman. And yeah. as a result, you see him like making a lot more mistakes and being forced to make mistakes and being tired and all these things that kind of like like make him lose his value. Like you like I, I no longer watch Thomas Shabbat like in awe of like the skating and the dyna- and the dynamism that I remember from his first seasons in the league. And I think that with with any player, especially young ones, and especially young ones that are coming out of the gate flying, being tentative can be a really like intelligent path. And I think that overall playing 30 minutes a night can uh, do a lot more harm than good for a player's development. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Thomas Shabbat. I'd thrown Ryan Suter in that conversation as well. Like he's a player, and Belfry quotes him as one of the players who didn't become all that he could because he quickly began began to make engagement decisions. 
you know, what, when to go, you know, when to put in the extra effort and when to kind of hold back because you know, you're going to be back on the ice in 30 seconds, right? Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a rough time um, when, when you're playing that many minutes and it's not about, like Belfier mentions, it's not about what Brock Faber can or can't do physically. Like, even if he can handle 30 minutes a night, you know for a fact there are going to be situations where he's going to hold back. Um, Belfry says, I test 30 minutes once in a while, but he has to settle into a consistent range of minutes where he doesn't have to make a single engagement decision. Yeah. I agree fully. I mean, as soon as you start making those decisions where you're you're figuring out whether or not to engage in battles because, you know, you're going to have to conserve yourself for the next shift. I think that's when players hold back on what can be their true potential. If you settle into 23, 24 minutes a night for Faber, I think that's a very comfortable kind of range of minutes where he can, he can really just settle into his game and explore different areas of his game and, and figure out what works and what doesn't without having to worry about, you know, being the key component on this defensive, on, on this defensive formation for Minnesota. It's, it's a lot of pressure to put on any player, let alone a rookie. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's a fairly interesting conversation to have because it's very rare that we talk about teams not te- teams playing rookies too much instead of not enough, right? Appreciate like the, the the regular conversation we have with with NHL rookies, especially on defenses, they should be playing more mean, minutes. They should be back on the ice, you know, very soon in order to play those 23, 24 minutes a night. Often with rookie defensemen, you see 14, 15, 16 minutes a night. Um, even if they're playing on the middle pair, they're not playing on the PK, they're not playing on the top power play. So it's like, you know, that's usually what we see. But in Minnesota right now, it's just they they are riding the hell out of out of out of Brock Faber here. Yeah. And it's it's making this very difficult for him. Um but yeah, that's that's kind of the breakdown on Brock Faber. I, I think I'm more on the page of playing him 23, 24 minutes a night than 30. Not for which is still first pairing yeah, minutes. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and it's not and it's not because he can't handle it physically. It's just what it does to his game and his decision making that's really impactful. But that wraps things up for a segment about Brock Faber. Let us know what you think down below about his minutes. Uh is 30 too much? Uh we think so. Uh but yeah, we'll get into Jaden Struble. In our second segment, talk about how we found NHL success and how that fares for his long-term potential in Montreal after these messages from our sponsors over at Sleeper. The NFL season is here and it comes with all sorts of possibilities. Your favorite team could hoist the Stanley Cup, Connor Bedard could score 50 goals, and you can get in on the action with Sleeper. Sleeper is our number one choice at the Locked NHL Network for all of your daily fantasy hockey needs. Because with Sleeper, you can win 100 times your cash in daily fantasy hockey contests. To do that, all you have to do is correctly predict eight specific player stats. And that can be anything. You can bet on your favorite fourth liner to score a rare uh, NHL goal or your favorite NHL rookie to get in on the score sheet. So use promo code LOCKDOWNNHL and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. That's code LOCKDOWNNHL. See Sleeper's terms of use for details and locational availability. Alrighty, so moving on to our second segment, we'll talk about Jaden Struble, who's been having a really good season so far with Montreal and has kind of stapled himself in uh, the conversation for their uh, depth chart uh, moving forward for the next couple of years. Struble has been fantastic in my viewings. Um, easily the best breakout passer on the Montreal Canadiens, like by distance. He has consistently been able to retrieve pucks behind his net and play them out comfortably. Um 
into the neutral zone or into the, the, the high end of the defensive zone for a teammate. Um, his ability to, to locate passes and, and execute on them quickly has just been outstanding, right? For sure. And I mean, if we're talking about defensemen who could use a few more minutes to, to test their tools, here's one of them. I think like Struble has been very impressive in very sheltered minutes so far. He's been playing between like 12 and 14, 15 minutes a night uh, since being called up. But He's been looking, as you said, very, very impressive, and uh, his strengths are on full display, and he's making a very good case for himself to not be taken out of this lineup because he is a consistent contributor in the breakout, in, uh, in transition off the rush, uh, very comfortable uh, becoming the third or fourth attacker on the rush and going deep into the offensive zone while also having the skating ability to get back very quickly if things go awry. And yeah, he's been a ton of fun to watch and, and just kind of see develop because, I mean, going back to his draft year, this was a player who was so raw, who could be molded into basically anything. He had all the tools in the world. This is a very interesting player that he's become, that, that is kind of like grown into with time. And it's not at all the same molded player that he was in his draft year. So what do you like so much about how he's grown his own game and what type of role he can play long term in the NHL? Yeah, so I mean, with Struble, the the breakout game has always been his specialty. It's always, always been his strength, his ability to um, to to choose the right passes and and time them really well when when breaking the puck out from from his own end. But I think the the thing that's really improved the most is how he sets up those breakouts. The way that he retrieves pucks has improved so well. Um, he's dialed down the violence a bit, which has actually helped him a lot. Because he's not dealing with loose pucks and 50-50 battles as much. It's a lot more seal the player along the boards, you know, almost almost politely. Like he'll 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 like direct them towards the boards, but won't really just kind of finish through them. He has thrown a couple really big hits, but he's not he's not actively seeking them out, which means that more often than not, he's creating comfortable pucks for him to pick up behind his net and just he can very easily just turn around and break the puck out, uh, you know, in a comfortable fashion. So it, it's become, it's become a lot more cohesive with him. He's taken one element that is game of his game. That's really good and set it up really well with another element of his game that needed improvement. Um, and yeah, that's, that's just become that combination of his ability to seal the boards and create a, a comfortable loose puck to, to pick up that combination with his breakout ability has made him such an effective defenseman um, breaking the puck out. But yeah, I mean, you look at his, we mentioned this already, but I mean, you mentioned this, uh, you mentioned his time on ice. Like you're looking at the last couple of games he played. I mean, 13 minutes, 22 seconds against the Winnipeg Jets, 15 minutes, 34 seconds against the New York Islanders. Like before that, I mean, he played nine minutes and 14 seconds in a game that went to overtime against the, 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 the Detroit Red Wings. Like he's not a player that's being utilized. Like he's being utilized half as much as Brock Faber, which is just yes. ridiculous to think <laughs> like, right. It's just, he's generally like he's playing less than half the minutes of, of Brock Faber. I, I think that you can bump those minutes up a bit. Um, He's been paired up with Jonathan Kovacevic on a third pair. I think he'd do really good on a second pair with Justin Barron. Um, Justin Barron over Caden Gooley. Well, I'd put Caden Gooley on the first pair with uh, Mike Matheson. Is my personal opinion, but there we go. That's another story. But yeah, um, I think I think 
Struble and Baron is such a great complementary skill set because like Baron sucks on retrievals. Like I'm gonna be perfectly like anytime he turns his deer in the headlights. Yeah, yeah. Like anytime his back is turned and he's retrieving a puck, my heart rate goes up. Like it's just immediate. Uh, so that's my struggle with 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 Baron. But Baron's really good at joining play in the offensive zone, using his skating to get up the ice. That he does really well, and I think that pairs extremely well with Jaden Struble, whose specialty is retrievals and breakouts. Like that's what Baron struggles at. So you pair those two together, you put Struble in a more kind of laid back position where you have Baron be the more aggressive of the, two, of the two defensemen and Struble be the retriever. That's a great combination of skills for me. Um, and I'd actually see that defense pair being a thing as, you know, the years go on, right? Like, I also want to ask you kind of what you think about Jaden Struble's current potential. Because I remember we had this conversation a lot regarding Jaden Struble versus Jordan Harris. Of course. Um, and I and I kept saying like Struble has higher potential than Harris. Yeah, and, yeah, and and like which 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 I agreed with. I think like the yeah. ceiling I think with Struble has always been higher than with Harris, right? Like the raw tools are more impressive, the flashes are brighter. Yeah, I think with with Jordan Harris, I have a lot of respect for the type of calm, composed, and effective game that he can play on yeah. a bottom pairing. He's so I efficient. think he's and he's so versatile too yeah. right like jordan harris you can play on either side right or left and he's going to put in a really 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 good shift for you but he's not one to consistently create advantages offensively right like he's one to, yeah. to solve simple problems and then get the puck effectively to players that can solve more complex problems and you need those pieces Jaden Struble is looking like a player that can solve more complex problems at the NHL level right now. So yeah, yeah I think I think like between the two right now, Struble is definitely the one that that projects as more impactful. Now mm -hmm. I still would hang on to Jordan Harris. He would not be one of the players that I'd be looking to move. I don't think that you can really get much back in a trade for Jordan Harris with the style that he plays. I yeah. think he's a lot more valuable if you just keep him. And I think you can get mm -hmm. better value for other players on that blue line, which we'll really delve into in the next segment. Uh, yep. Looking at uh, just how many pieces there are on that blue line that can be <laughs> <laughs> potential impact pieces within the next like two years. Mm -hmm. So, but like, yeah, w w with Struble, uh, you've been on board the entire time. I've always liked him. I've always liked the upside, but I think I was, I was always a bit more uh, skeptical about the likelihood of it happening. But I mean, yeah. within the first year of turning pro, he's already looking like a pretty solid NHLer. And of course, we have to wait until he gets bigger minutes and against better competition, because right now he's looking very good against entirely like fourth line and third pairing competition. So. Yeah you want to see that competition rise, which is also another reason that you want to see him with a bit, a few more minutes on the ice. Like you want to test him a little bit. I think mm -hmm. I'd love to see him on a second power play and just like put him in over Justin Barron for a shift and see what he can do there. I don't yeah. think there's any harm in, in that with his passing strength and his mobility. And he has a pretty hard shot too. And if you want to make the most out of the toolkit and just kind of see what, what, what he has going for him offensively, I'd yeah. give him a shot on the power play, but uh, he's been t a ton of fun to watch so far. And I think Habs fans are are in their right to be excited of with Jaden Struble as like a potential number four defenseman moving forward. Absolutely. I'm, I'm very excited about this prospect. And yeah, I, we're going to get into kind of where he stands in this pecking order and who stays and who goes in this next segment. Um, but yeah, I, I genuinely think that if you find a way to keep both Struble and Harris and have Struble on your second pair, Harris on your third um, on the left side, you're set for a long while. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, but that wraps things up for uh, this second segment regarding Jaden Struble's uh, path to success and how he got there. 
Um, but now we'll talk about the pecking order in Montreal, who stays and who goes, especially with the slew of, of prospects coming up the, 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 you know, in, in the depth chart and making a name for themselves. We'll get into that right after these messages from our sponsors over at eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers to roof racks to exhaust kits and LED headlights, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your ride, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride and every time or your money back, which is available to U.S. customers only. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Alrighty, so moving on to our final segment, we'll talk about Montreal's uh, pecking order on defense, the depth chart, and how that fares in the next couple years. I think we can start off with the kind of the most obvious name for staying in this lineup, and that would be Mike Matheson, right? I mean, he's just—I don't think there's really much of a doubt there. Like, if you can keep him around for the next couple of years to mentor these other mobile defensemen that are going to be coming up, um, I think that's a great idea. What you know, where do you see Matheson long term? Is there any defenseman, any any pair of defensemen you'd have on the first pair ahead of him? I would personally look into trade opportunities with Matheson as a as an option. I think that with especially the amount of left shot defensemen that you have coming through, the Habs are really going to have to think through what their approach is with this with this depth chart because within a year's time, you're going to have Lane Hudson as a night, like day in day out NHLer with top power play minutes, right? Like and Matheson mm-hmm. would kind of lose that role, which will immediately hit his trade value a little bit. Um, you got Caden Gooley as a left shot. You got Jaden Struble, Jordan Harris, Adam Engstrom is coming in. Yeah. William Trudeau is there. He's been struggling a bit this season, um, but he was looking really good in training camp and, and the progression has been nice there. There's a lot of names. And I think that with Mathis, with Matheson specifically, if he's kept as the veteran presence to guide the young players, that's perfectly fine. But if the Habs choose to do that, they need to have a plan in place. And I think they have to start moving out some of these, these, these prospects because the longer you hold on to them and the more clarity you get as to which ones are NHLers and which ones aren't, the less you're able to get back for the ones that you decide to not bet on. And I think that with the, the, the raw quantity of players that fit into this mold, the Habs are going to have to move out a couple uh, yeah. within the near future and not not to say that they had to bank on six specific guys, but bringing the list down from fourteen to maybe like <laughs> ten, nine, 11, right? Yeah. And 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 I think like 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 we have like so so many names in there that uh, yeah, some strat- some some strategic decisions are definitely uh, upon like, on the horizon for the Habs with the with this defensive core. But yeah. how do you see it shaking out? So if, if Matheson stays. Who goes? Yeah, uh, my obvious one, I'd say, is David Savard. Um, maybe not this year, but next year. I think that David Savard's probably going to be kept around so that when Lane Hudson inevitably signs in April with the Montreal Canadiens and, and starts playing his first NHL games, I think that would be the guy that they would pair with him. 
um, yeah. in order to create a more steady presence on that line. Uh, but after that, there's a real evaluation that you'll need to have as to that, as to whether or not Savard is going to continue to be an impactful defenseman. And I think in the very near future, Savard's going to get too slow. I mean, I'd say he's already too slow for the NHL. Um, but his his physical tools and defensive intelligence, and especially the the heart with which he plays, um, really kind of compensates for that. But it, that won't stay the same for long. I don't think we're we're going to have a long time with David Savard being good enough that he deserves a spot over one of these younger defensemen uh, among these prospects that we have here. I mean, first and foremost, I, you know, if, if Matheson stays, I think Gooley needs to be on that first pair with him. I I'm, I'm I've always been on page with those two and I know they're both left-handed, yada, 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 the whole Mike, Mike Babcock trend that started with the 2010 Vancouver Olympics. But yeah, I, I, I'm never, I've never been the biggest fan of lefties on the left, righties on the right. And that being like a, like a, a, an unwritten rule in the NHL. Like Mike Matheson can play his off wing. He's got the mobility, the the ability to catch pucks on his off hand and like the the ability to play on his backhand in order to make that work. It's actually prime prime real estate on the ice for him to to use that spinorama he loves so much. So like there, there's there's opportunities there to put Gooley and, and Matheson on a first pair. And then after that you start building up. If you want to pair, you know, uh, Lane Hudson and Justin Barron, maybe. I, I'm not a big fan of that. Maybe Lane Hudson and Jaden Schrubel would be a good pair. David and, Reinbacher isn't that far away. Like, he's yeah. been struggling a bit this season. But if we're talking about, like, towards the end of next season, I could easily see him already be in the NHL lineup. And yeah. obviously the natural fit there would be with Lane Hudson. But Absolutely. at that point, you already have your top four set. You have three more defensive slots. Jaden Struble would be one that I think, at at least at this stage, we would want to kind of keep in there. Justin Barron, I think, would be Justin really Barron. Good. Like, like I said in our last segment, yeah, right? exactly. And, like, and, like, and then like Jordan said, Harris as your seventh, but yeah, then you have you still have Adam Engstrom, who isn't going to be that far off. Like you can let him marinate in the AHL for a little bit. You have an extra year beyond the timeline that we're talking about here. Yeah, with him, which which helps. But where is the space here for guys like Arbor Jack guy and even Jonathan Kovacevic? Like, are those yeah. two players that you could see the Habs like selling high on within the next six or eight months here? Because 100%. It, there's going to be a massive logjam here in the blue line. Absolutely. I, I, the, the thing, the only thing is I keep one of the two, mainly because it's inevitable that injuries on the blue line happen. Um, you know, especially when you've got, you know, Mike Matheson, Justin Barron, um, you know, Jaden Shrubble, I'm fairly sure is, is you know, going to be the least likely of this bunch to get injured long term. But Mike Matheson could very easily just, you know, catch a hang- hamstring injury and, and get sidelined for three, four or five months. You never know. Um, so I, I, I'd say nine would be the comfortable amount of names I'd keep in here. And that actually gives a great opportunity for a guy like are uh, like Adam Engstrom to to slot into that lineup because Engstrom I feel has a, a skill set that's very very similar to Mike Matheson. So if if you need that element, if if it's if it's less a matter of having Mike Matheson specifically and having him and more having like a Ma- Mike Matheson esque player in your lineup anywhere, slotting Adam Engstrom on a on a third pair would work really well for that. Um, and then that would give a great opportunity for Lane Hudson to get more power play minutes to get more opportunities, you know, uh, in, in key offensive zone face-offs and that kind of stuff. Um, but we haven't even mentioned Logan Mayu in this conversation. I, right. I think he's the outsider in this conversation. I'm still not really sold on his intelligence and haven't seen much progression in the AHL, even though the points are coming. A lot of them are coming from his, 
standout ability, which is his ability to put pucks on net and put pucks yeah. through through um, through layers of, of defensive pressure. Um, he's always been good at that, and that's not gone away. But his breakout game is struggling. He makes some very wild decisions when retrieving pucks and when trying to break them out. It's just, yeah, I, I'm not sold yet on Mayu's kind of like I, a lot of Habs fans have kind of slotted him in like a definite top four conversation. I'm not there at all yet. Um, but it would give him an opportunity to kind of, you know, work his way up the lineup and and, and show what he can do, and and especially to get those key NHL minutes in, so he can see what it's like at that level and realize like, oh, there are some things I need to work on right away. Um, outside of that, I mean, we haven't really talked about Matthias Norlander either, who had a great um, preseason yeah. as well. But like, these are guys that you can keep in the AHL and like work up um, gradually. Uh, but my my main concern is Arbor Jacki. I think his value's at an all time high right now. Like I agree, there are Habs fans talking about Arbor Jacki as an untouchable. Like, are are you like? There's no way a bottom pair defenseman is an untouchable. There's no universe in which that's true. I understand the argument. I understand why people think he's an untouchable because you know he brings an element to the Habs that they don't have. He brings a, a value that you don't really see often, especially on defense. But like, there's a reason you don't have a lot of that in the NHL. It's because that role has kind of tapered off. And how, how many Arbor Jack guys were there on the the Colorado Avalanche? You know, like it's just it's not Josh a recipe Manson, that maybe you, like even maybe even then even then yeah. he wasn't really playing. No, like, you know, it's not Arbor Jack guy. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, yeah, where do you, where do you stand on Jack guy? Do you, do you stand on the trade side or on the on the keep side? I, I love his story. I think that like it is a, a true underdog tale and yeah. and it's it is impossible not to root for him and his family. From a sporting perspective, I think that trading him would be wise from the Hab standpoint. I think that yeah. well, yes, as you said, there's definitely a reason that the Habs want to keep him. You cannot keep everyone, and you try to maximize the value of the pieces that you have and if you're making a decision between keeping jack guy or a guy like jordan harris where it's like okay for harris you might get what like a fourth round draft pick in return i think jordan harris can be just as effective a bottom pairing piece as arbor jack guy in a very different way for sure but mm -hmm. just as effective and i would say that with arbor jack guy like you could probably command a first round draft pick with the youth and the physicality we saw the Habs cash in on a stylistically slightly comparable player with Alexander Romanov who also had that high-end skating with the violent physical game and that yep. upside in youth mm -hmm. and I think that trade is aging very very nicely right now I if I were the Habs I'd be looking into the options of doing the same thing with Jack Eye because I think you can get a big return. And I'd also kind of look at what you could do with Mayu along the same lines, especially with Justin Barron playing some really good offensive hockey right now at the NHL level with yes, a lot of defensive awards still, but what he's doing at the NHL level right now as an offensive defenseman is what Logan Mayu is likely to do at the NHL level as an offensive defenseman in two, three years times. Yeah. And in that case, I would just hold on to Baron uh, and, and see if you can get something back for Mayu. And of course, right shot defenseman is not the deepest part of the Habs pool here, but they have a lot of lefties that are comfortable on their weak sides. And well, yes, it's a bit more uncomfortable to close off the boards when you, when you're defending as a, as a lefty on the right side, the overall like handicap that you have there is 
quite minimal. And it's far more important to have good players in your lineup than have right shot defensemen on the right and left shot yeah. defensemen on the left. Yeah. And the other thing is um, Matheson's a player who defends skating forward, not backwards. So oftentimes yeah. when he's sealing off the boards, it's actually a really good position for him because he's skating forward with a stick angled towards the boards. And exactly. if the player cuts across him, it's a lot easier for him to pivot on his strong side. Right. Um, but yeah, it's going to be very interesting to track that, but I'm, I'm a big fan of Gooley Matheson, Hudson, Reinbacher, um, Struble Baron as your top six. That would be fantastic for the Habs. But that wraps things up for today's show. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe. Leave us a comment letting us know what you want us to talk about next. And if you're listening on your favorite podcasting platform, make sure to make us your first listen of the day. For your second listen of the day, make sure to check out Locked On Sports Today. They've got all your news and updates about what's going on around sports on a 24-hour news channel. And make sure to tune in for our next shows next week as we continue our prospects coverage and ramp things up as the World Juniors come up. This has been Hattie Kalakesh with Sebastian High, and we hope you tune in next time.